All right, well, at this time, the children can head out to Children's Church. For the rest of us, it is uh, time for us to hit our fifth of the faith supplements. In order to review so far where we have come, uh, we have talked about virtue was the first week. These are the things that we add to the faith that God has given us. We talked about virtue, which is the desire, the hunger, the thirst for righteousness, the, the, the passionate drive to want to be more like Jesus. Then we talked about knowledge, uh, the different kinds of knowledge, oida, doxa, episteme, and uh, gnosis, uh, all of which are different ways of knowing, and we talked about how we are to grow in knowledge of God. We add to that knowledge self-control and steadfastness, and we talked about that using the example of Jesus' self-control and steadfastness uh, as he went to the cross. And last week we talked about godliness, that godliness is not godlikeness, it is God-lifeness, meaning that it is not that we look and act like God, Christ was not interested in whitewashed tombs, but that we become consumed with the life and the presence of God. So let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's see what our next supplement is. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we can clearly see there in the passage that after godliness comes the supplement of Philadelphia. Maybe you're scratching your head and you're going, well, no, my translation and the one that you just read said brotherly affection. And that is true. The Greek word for brotherly affection, as it appears in that passage, is Philadelphia. Many of you probably sit there and go, well, isn't that, isn't that a city? Yes, the city Philadelphia was named after this word as it appears right here in this passage. That's why it's called the city of brotherly love. So what you can see is, is that Philadelphia, brotherly love, is immediately followed in Second Peter chapter 1 there by the word love, which is a different kind of word for love, which is agape. So he has an order that we go from brotherly love, brotherly affection, we go from Philadelphia, after godliness we go to Philadelphia, and after Philadelphia we go to agape, and, and they are different kinds of love, and they are dependent upon, uh, we're going to see here in just a second, dependent on each other, so I have it as Philadelphia for this week, and agape as next week, basically it's two weeks on love. So here in Philadelphia, we are talking about brotherly love. It is the brotherly uh, affection love which is found between uh, friends. It is between compadres, cohorts, people who have, because of common interest, because of common belief, because of common whatever, they have come uh, together and joined together in a relationship that is beyond family, 
uh, even though the word brotherly is in there, it's, it's family, but it's, it's extended beyond family. And yet it isn't marital. It isn't, uh, it isn't all-consuming. It, it, it is its own unique kind of love. It's the love that you have for a best friend, for someone that you are committed to. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, 19 to 21, Uh, We're going to put that up on the screen. You're going to see there is a reason that Peter puts brotherly love before godly love. Love of brother before love of God. And why love of God that we'll talk about next week is actually the end result of what we are trying to achieve. But before you can love God, you have to love your brother. So let's read this together. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John lays out pretty, pretty pretty clearly that there is a chronology to this love, there is a succession to this love, that it begins with brotherly love that you cannot have. You cannot love God if you do not love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not possible. He says, and he goes on, he uses some weird uh, explanations, not really weird, but, but some ethereal ones. I mean, how can you love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? And I want to clarify for us this morning, brotherly love, it is, uh, it is family love, but it is extended. It goes into friendship. But do not mistake love for agreement. Loving someone does not always mean being in agreement with them. It also does not mean always appreciating them. Growing up, my sister and I were about as opposite as you could as you could be. She was taller than me, I was shorter than her, she's blonde, I'm brown haired. She was popular, I was a geek. She played sports. I didn't. I did th- We were just polar opposites. Boy, that created in our family some good arguments, some good fights. She and I did not see eye to eye growing up. Um, We didn't always appreciate each other. And I would be the first person to criticize her at times. But if anybody else dared to speak an ill word of my sister, If anyone dared to raise a hand or besmirch her character, they would have me to answer to. And we all have this understanding, right? We all have it in our head that you cannot insult or degrade or otherwise malign anybody in my family unless you are a part of the family, right? There is an awareness and an understanding that family, that love, that affection, though it isn't always friendly, it is unyielding. Though I did not always get along with my sister, I stood by her whenever she needed me. 
and to this day still will. That is what it means to have brotherly love for one another. So do not get in your head that what we are called to is not to ever be human with each other. We are still human. We still make mistakes. We still get into arguments. We still fight. And I'm telling you, the closer you get with someone, the more you, you, you tend to butt heads with them. But that is a part of the relationship of family. It is a part of the relationship of friendships. If you tell me I've never fought with my friend, then I'm going to look at you and your friend and say, you never really talked about anything of substance. How deep of a friendship can you have if you have not found disagreement? It is the nature of closeness. It is the nature of intimacy. And that's why brotherly love becomes so important. So I want us to talk this morning. If we are called to have brotherly love with each other, why do we have to have that before we can even begin to love God? Family, that love supersedes disagreement. It supersedes appreciation. When John says, you and I cannot love God whom we have not seen, if we do not love our brother whom we have seen, what he is connecting there is if you cannot appreciate the people around you that you may disagree with now, if you cannot be committed to a family member or a dear friend beyond your ego, someone you interact with on a daily basis, if you cannot come to have that kind of a relationship with someone you claim to care about, then when God comes along and asks you to do something you do not want to do, leads you into a valley of death, uh, when he, he takes you where you do not want to go, how could you ever follow? How can you claim that you will put up with what God will ask you to do when he disagrees with you, when you cannot do it with someone you see every day? It begins with each other. So let's talk about what it looks like. First and foremost, brotherly affection meets needs. My friends and my family, whatever I have is theirs. It's just the nature of it. If there is a need, it is met. As far and as much as I am capable of doing it or aware that there's a need, I'm going to try to meet it. My friend Jim, when we were in, uh, when we were in high school together, um, one day, he, he was brilliant. The guy was a genius except at math. He was terrible at math. I was good at math. So whenever he needed math help, he would call me up, and we would, we would work on math together. And so one day I'm on the phone with 30, 45 minutes with him, wrestling with some mathematical problems, and, 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 and he's just getting really frustrated, and he's taking up all this time, and I don't mind because that's, that's what I'm here for. After about 35, 40 minutes, uh, my mom yells from the other room. She says, Nathan, come on. It's time to cut the cake for your sister. 
and he heard that over the phone. And I hear him, he, he stopped and he said, what was that? I said, oh, my mom's calling me to come into my, it, it's time to cut the cake for my sister. We were, we were in the other room getting ready to uh, celebrate her birthday. He choked up because he couldn't believe that I would, I would take, take that time and, and give it to him. Brotherly affection meets the needs of people that you care about. So if Jesus says it clearly this way, Matthew 25, 31 to 40. You can't get any clearer than this. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when Christ returns and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. This goes back to the, you cannot say that you love Christ and not love your brother. The reason is, is because fundamentally, if you look around this room, go ahead, just look around for a second. I I just want you to see some faces. These people that you are looking at are not the people you think. They are Christ. Christ has bought them, he has filled them, he is consuming them, he is claiming them. They have been clothed, according to Colossians, they have been clothed with Christ. When you see them, you see the very face of God. And when someone near us, someone who proclaims Christ, has a need, If we reject or refuse to meet that need, we are not refusing them. We are not refusing their need. We are refusing Christ. When we serve each other, we are serving Christ. When we meet each other's needs, we are meeting the needs of Christ. When I was in Frederick and I'd volunteer at a rescue mission, we'd go down there and head out uh, once a week when I was down there. And Mike, um, uh, he was the, the head guy there, and he would come down. And he had a beaming face all the time, and he would clasp his hands, and he'd say, All right, guys, you ready? We're going to go out, and we're going to find what mask Jesus is wearing today. That's the way he went out into the world and interacted with people. He had the mentality, he had the focus that every per- he was going out not to just randomly meet needs, but to find where Jesus was. And minister to that person. That was his mentality. He realized that brotherly affection, brotherly love means meeting each other's needs. It's fun.
funny. It's not funny. It's, it's interesting to me that the passage, uh, he doesn't gather the nations before him and separate them and say, uh, those on my right are those who claim my name, and those on my left are the ones who renounced my name. That is not the dividing line that Christ gives us, is it? The dividing line is those who served me and those who rejected me. Not by word, but by life. Did you feed me? James tells us in the book of James, Jesus' brother says, you know what, uh, what, what good is it? If you see a brother who's in need, who's hungry, and you look at him and say, well, I hope you find some food, I'll be praying for you. James says, you've done nothing. Step in and meet his need if you are able. So we have brotherly affection meets each other's needs. The second thing is this, and this is important, because once we we go, okay, you know what, God, we're going to meet each other's needs. The second thing is, though, that brotherly affection shows honor. Now, why would I say that one secondly? Because I have known Christian and non-Christian do-gooders who are very happy with the fact that they're able to help out you in your pitiful state. They're more than happy to look at the world around them and see those in need as lesser people. I'll help you because you were unable to help yourself. I think of the example of Jesus talking about two men who were praying to the Father. The one man stands up and says, says, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like this other guy over here who's so messed up, this sinner. And the sinner's over there beating his own chest and saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And Jesus said, which one of them went home forgiven? Paul says, if we give all that we have, even surrendering our body to the flames, but have not love, we gain nothing. Brotherly affection honors each other. We serve each other not because we are a bigger person, not because the person next to us is a lesser person, We do it because we value them as children of God, and that's it. That's the only reason. In Romans 12.10, I like this. This should all be one sentence. It says this, love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. The way by which you demonstrate brotherly affection in this passage is by seeking to outdo one another in showing honor. The word outdo here means be the first to reach it. So in a race, two people are racing. You want to outdo the other one. The goal is that everybody finishes the race. That's fantastic. But what you are trying to do is not only finish it, but you are trying to outdo the person next to you. 
Over and over in the scriptures, we are told not to compare ourselves to uh, our fellow brothers and sisters. We are not to compare ourselves to other Christians, except in a very few cases, and this is one. Paul says, seek to outdo each other. Seek to be the first to show honor among the brothers. That's how you love one another. When you head to church on Sunday, I'm going to take it outside the building because this isn't, this is just the example. When you come here on Sunday, you are not coming to be recognized, but to recognize others. You are not coming to be served, but to serve others. You are not coming here to be praised and lauded, but to praise the Lord. You are not coming to be ministered to, but to minister. It is an attitude. We seek to show honor to one another in what we do for each other, not what we seek to have done to us. So when you come together, come with the mentality, come with the mindset, how can I make other people feel appreciated and loved and wanted and needed today? How can I, who can I find? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to find every person that I can to try to lift up. Because treating people with honor means treating people the way you want to be treated. Not making people treat you the way you want to be treated. So he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Be the first to greet. Be the first to welcome. Be the first to ask somebody how their week was. Be the first to love. Be the first to forgive. Be the first to show grace. Be the first to encourage. Whatever it is that is good and right and noble, be the first to do it in every interaction you have. That's what it means to outdo one another in showing honor. Jesus says it a couple of different ways in one passage in one of the Gospels. He says, you know what, if you come to the altar, if you come to bring your sacrifice to the Lord and you remember that you have something against your brother, you better leave that offering on the ground. Do not bring it. Leave it where it is. Go be reconciled to your brother. Then your gift will be acceptable to God. Once again, the loving each other is necessary for our offering to God to be acceptable. But he even takes it even further than that because I think it's Mark. Uh, I think it, I'm pretty sure it's in Mark where he, he, he changes it. The, the wording that is used there is if you remember that your brother has something against you, not even that you have something against your brother, someone else has something against you, you go and fix it before bringing your offering to the Lord. You go and fix it. You don't, we, brotherly affection does not sit back in bitterness and create walls between us and other people. It does not lay down expectations of what other people do need to do in order to be brought back into our good graces. Brotherly love. Brotherly love opens doors. 
Brotherly love knocks on closed doors. That's exactly what Jesus did with us, didn't he? What was required of man before he forgave us? Nothing. As he hung on a cross and they spit at him and they insulted him, they degraded him, they mocked him and they injured him with nobody saying we're sorry. Nobody saying we're going to change. Christ looks out over all of them and says what? Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And then a centurion is able to fall on his knees and say, surely this man was the son of God. God has an open door towards all of us. And even when our doors are closed to him, Jesus says that he knocks. Right? He knocks. He isn't waiting. He's not waiting for your door to open. He is there. He is knocking on it. He is expect that is what brotherly love is. We do not wait for other people to make things right. We do it. We love. We have open doors, and we go and we knock on the doors that are closed. We go and we repair the relationships that are broken. We sit there, and we are ready to fix anything and everything in any moment and every moment. That's what brotherly love seeks. That's the example that he gave us. He came while we were still sinners. He forgave us while we were still sinners. He saved us while we were still sinners. And now we are called to go and do likewise. That's what brotherly affection looks like. Which leads us to the next one. Brotherly affection is self-sacrificing. Are you willing to lay down what is important to you? Are you willing to lay down what you value? Are you willing to sacrifice what is important to you for the sake of somebody else? Because brotherly love is self-sacrificing. Christ is the best example of it. Laid down his life. Even though he didn't want to, he did it because we needed him to do it. His self-sacrificing is what enabled us to be free. It's a whole nother sermon, but you, we love because he first loved us. We forgive because he forgave. Do you, do you realize that it is the action of forgiveness, it is the action of love, it is the action of grace that makes Forgive, that makes repentance possible. It is not the other way around. It is not that we repent and then he offers forgiveness. He has offered forgiveness so that we can repent. So we are to walk in the same manner. That you know what? 
I've been insulted by people before. You've been insulted. You know what? I'm not going to hold it against anyone. It ain't worth it. I'm offering. I'm offering clean slates everywhere. I'm treating everyone with clean slates. That's just the way I'm going to work in my life. We walk that way because that's the way Christ did. Do you have bad relationships with anyone in your life? Anyone. Waiting for them to do something for it to be right is foolish. It needs to be right. On your end, it needs to be right. It needs to be clear. Our egos, our wills, our hurts, none of those things are supposed to play into it. I'm going to read you a scripture. It's a gut punch. (laughs) Or at least it was for me. I mean, no glass jaws here this morning, right? Because we're getting ready to take one right on the chin. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Paul here is talking about disagreements that are happening amongst the brothers. And they are having such disagreements that they are going and they're suing each other in the courts of the pagans using Roman law to try to adjudicate uh, uh, religious matters and religious disagreements. And Paul, he just loses it. I mean, he really, really loses it. And he says something, it, it's so ridiculous. He says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are going to judge the angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So he's looking here, and he wants you to understand. You. See, we always think, oh, well, Jesus is going to come back to judge the world. No, Jesus is going to come back, sit on the throne, and we, with him, will judge the world. And all of the spiritual beings that have ever existed. We judge them, Paul says. He goes, and you're getting hung up. That's not, this isn't even the hard part. This is, that's easy. It's like, hey, if you've got a problem, don't go to them. Go to the, go to the elders. Go to someone in the church. Have it adjudic- adjudicated there. But no, that's what, that's what he says. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. But here it is. Here's the gut punch. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Paul says the actual right brotherly response is to let things go. Even if a brother in the church has taken advantage of you, they have stolen money from you. It is better for you to let it go. Brotherly love is more important than our egos. Brotherly love is more important than our personal justice. 
Brotherly love is self-sacrificing. And we are grateful that it is because otherwise Christ would have come off that cross and he'd have slayed them all. If it was about ego, if it was about justice, if it was about making sure that you got what you deserved, then every head would have rolled on that hill except his. That is not what brotherly love is. Christ showed us it is better to be wrong. It is better to suffer unjustly for the sake of those around us. Got to take a breath after that one because that, that, that's hard. But we know it's true because we look at the life of Jesus. That's exactly what he did. We know it's true. Last thing, brotherly affection encourages righteousness. A relationship with each other, a real relationship, is both encouraging and exhorting. You can have a loving relationship that is encouraging and exhorting, or you can have an unloving one. Unloving is when I think you're a piece of garbage. And I'm telling you what you ought to strive for because you need to be better than what you are. And I tell you how bad you are because you're just a piece of garbage. That is not loving. But looking and seeing in someone the raw potential that Christ has in them, and encouraging them to achieve it and helping them, helping turn them away from the things that are going to keep them from it, that's loving. I don't think I've had one real relationship that did not, incur, did not involve both encouraging good and exhorting bad. Real relationships can handle both. And it's not because we think less of each other. It's because we know what Christ can do with us. We see the potential. So Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, Paul says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How can we stir each other to be better? How do we stir each other to good works? How do we get better together? Because ultimately, as Hebrews 12 tells us, we only ever truly discipline those we care about. I don't, dis- I, I don't drive down the street, see random kids, and stop and yell at them. I don't, I don't do that. And I don't mean to be rude, but I, because I don't know them and I don't care. That is, and that, maybe that sounds rude, but I'm, you know, it's just the reality of it. But I get on to my kids. There's only one reason. Because I love them. Shoot, I've dis- I, I disciplined my cousin's kids one time. He didn't really care for that, but I loved them. That's why I told him. I said, I love your kids. I'm not going to read it. I was going to read it. We're out of time. It was, was 1 Corinthians 8. There's a whole section there where Paul 
talks about, look, hey, you as a brother, you know. You know that there's nothing wrong with eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. You know that the meat is just meat. It, it, it didn't. There, the, those idols are meaningless. None of that means anything. He says, but there are people who don't see it that way. And he says, now you've got a choice. Now, I want you to read this. Read this this week. He says, you've got a choice. You can either, because you know it's not wrong, just go ahead and eat meat and say, forget him. It doesn't matter whether it hurts him. And he says, but if you do that, you'll be sinning and that's wrong. Paul says, I would rather never eat meat again than to cause my brother to stumble. It kind of summarizes all of this together. Brotherly affection has nothing to do with meat. There was a lady at the church when I was growing up. I was real little, but I remember this because, oh, my goodness. I, I, it was so bizarre because she would always do this. It still sticks in my head. She would walk around in the church, and she would tell people, we are supposed to do X. We're not supposed to do Y. Here's how it's supposed to be done. And if anyone ever disagreed with her, she would, she would use these scriptures and say, you are supposed to love me and not cause me to stumble, so you'll do what I'm saying. So let's clarify this for just a moment. This passage, everything that we've read and everything we've said today is not for anyone else. It's only for you. It's only for you. Now, if you think about that for a minute, that can seem unfair because you're like, what, only me? You know, but it's only all of the me's in here. It only applies to you. At no point do you, are you ever to look and say, you are, are supposed to meet my need. It's not what the passage says. The passage does not say, go into the body and make sure other people are meeting your needs. It doesn't do that. It does not say, go into the body and make sure people are showing you honor. It does not say that. It does not say, go into the body and make sure people are serving you. Go into the, go into the body and make sure no one offends you. It doesn't say any of those things anywhere in this book ever. It says, you love, you meet needs, you honor, you serve, you do these things. Because if each, every, if each and every one of us in here decide that we are each going to do our part, then we won't have to worry about anyone else doing it. It'll all be taken care of if we all just take care of ourselves. As the band comes up, I want to read this last scripture as we have this invitation song. In John 13, 35, Jesus says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Brotherly love is the defining quality of what it means to be a Christian. Now, like always, two ways to take a sermon like this. You can look and, and you can see it as a chiding one that, that oh, man, I'm not, I'm not living up. Or you can look and say, I want to be a part of a family like that because I do. I, I want to be a part of a place where I belong. I want to be a part of a place that loves me and that I can love. I want to find a place where I can pour my energy and my heart into the lives of others and they pour it into me. We just have to accept that. We have to accept that call. 
And so he's called us to that. He's calling you to that this morning. I mean, if, if you have never accepted him, you've never been washed, cleansed, died, reborn, there is a whole new life that awaits. All you have to do is come forward. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation together. For some of you who are younger, this is like an old hippie song, so we invite you to learn it because it's good.